Well, good morning, Gateway family. Hey, Chris. Am I on? I'm on. All right, good morning, Gateway family. It's great to see you as you make your way to your seat. I love the fellowship and the excitement this morning as people are gathered together. So greetings to those of you in the sanctuary and greetings to those of you worshiping from home. We are so glad that we get to gather together to worship the Lord this morning. What a blessing and a privilege this is for us. Just a few announcements as we begin this morning. We mentioned last week there's some opportunities to serve in the life of the body. We just want to remind you of these because there are places for you to connect and plug in. One is we need help in the sound booth. There's guys who work up there in the sound booth every Sunday to make a live stream happen, to make the screen projection appear, to have the sound in the room and the sound at home. And we need some help in those areas. So if you're interested in learning how to use, we'll train you in this, or not we, Justin will train you in this as long with Chris down here. They'll teach you how to do everything up there. So we'd love, if you're interested in the technology side of things and we'd love to serve, we could really use some help up in the sound booth. Second of all, our kids' ministry is growing. The Lord keeps sending new families our way with a lot of children, and we are so thankful for that. That means there's a lot of kids to take care of around here. And so if you'd like to help, Molly could use some assistance in the nursery on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights as well. So if you're interested in plugging in and loving children, there's a whole process you have to go through. We just don't take any warm body and put them with the kids. There's a whole security background check you'll go through. And interview process, but we could use some help loving the kids and teaching them about Jesus. So I would encourage you to talk to Molly about that or email her for more details. Two things about today. One, there's an afternoon prayer gathering at four o'clock. So I hope you'll come back to the sanctuary. Parker Harris, who's one of the leaders of our young adult life group, is going to be leading that prayer time today. It's just a chance to gather together and to pray for our city, to pray for our church, to pray for one another. And so we'd love for you guys to be part of that. Also today, we're doing communion at the end of the service. Just to remind you, because of COVID precautions, we still don't have the big loaf of bread up front to share from, but we have the individual communion cups under your seat. So just locate those if you need them when we get to the end of the service. There's a tray in the back and a tray on the baptistry. If you have dietary needs, there's gluten-free ones and allergy-friendly ones in those locations as well. And for those worshiping from home, this will give you some time to get the elements ready to be able to participate with us. Another announcement for you, our young adult life group that Parker and Zach leads is about to start a new study a week from Thursday. It's called Something Needs to Change, a call to make your life count in a world of urgent need. It's by David Platt. If you're familiar with him, Platt has a huge heart for the nations and for missions. So our young adult life is going to be going deep into how do we understand the world's physical and spiritual needs and how, how does God want to use us to make a difference in the world? So young adults, that means you're out of college through about mid to what they're about 25 or sorry 35 or so here's a chance for you to plug in and to (laughs) here's a chance to plug in and to grow in community but also to study how god wants to use you to make a difference in the world so one other announcement right now and that's mike pressing mike come on up here so you hear us talk about men's backpacking trips and men's hiking trips all the time I'd never done one of these until Mike joined the church a few years ago and drug me out in the woods for the first time. It was a great experience. But I want you to hear from him, especially a word to the men about the upcoming opportunity in October. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Speaking of children's ministry, I just got done teaching uh, fifth and sixth grade boys, so I'm a little <laughs> exhausted. So I made notes, so I don't forget anything. <laughs> but uh, it's a blessing. So. Uh, but yeah, we're having a, a men's backpacking trip, and I love uh, going out and spending And uh, as you all know, the weather's gotten great the past week, so it's just a good time of year to go out and do it. Um, so I want to give you kind of a rundown and then tell you really three things I think that you'll get out of it if you invest the time. I know we all have lots going on, and uh, it is an investment in time and a choice that you, 
you go out, but I think it's so, so worth it. So it's October 16th and 17th, Saturday and Sunday at Pine Mountain, Georgia, about an hour and a half away from here near Callaway Gardens. Uh, we'll hike eight miles total, about five miles the first day, three miles the second day. Uh, we'll be back uh, midday Sunday, so you'll have time to kind of reset for the work week. Uh, only $20 uh, per person. That's for transportation and uh, food for dinner at the campsite and breakfast at the campsite. And I know a backpacking trip can sound kind of intimidating if you've never done it before, but we're very beginner friendly. I've got tons of loner gear. Uh, you know, we don't try to push at an unbearable pace, so very realistic. Um, and I'm happy to work with you if you want to go and you've never done it before. And finally, very quickly, three things I think you'll get. Uh, one is an adventure. You get to unplug from kind of the daily routine. We all kind of feel like I think it's a grind, you know, going to work, uh, doing the things we need to do every week. Uh, and this is a chance to really unplug and kind of get a new perspective. Uh, number two, uh, you get to have community and build relationships with other guys. I can't tell you how many guys in this church I've really gotten to know by going on these trips. It's a, a, you know, kind of a shared adventure together, and we get about 18 hours together, so it's 18, equivalent of 18 uh, Bible study classes, I guess, to get to know each other. Uh, and then, most importantly, I think it's an investment in yourself spiritually. We really try to make this not just a, a adventure trip, a fellowship trip, but really try to connect with the Creator and His creation through prayer, through Bible study, and through discussion. So, uh, finally, uh, I just always think of 1 Timothy 4, 8, I'm going to paraphrase it here, bodily training is of some value, so the exercise, uh, but training in godliness is of value in every way. So we really try to do both. You get the physical adventure, the exercise, but also the spiritual uh, part of it. So hope you'll join us. You can sign up on the website. Thanks, Mike. If you have any questions, you see Mike will be sitting right on here. Grab him after the service, and he can tell you a little bit more about that. As one who had never done it before until several years ago, I am now hooked. So um, it is a lot of fun. I'd love for you guys to be able to do that. So we'll take a minute and introduce several of our new members who have completed the membership process. So Edmondson, Shears, and Sonny, you guys come on down and stand across the front. So a lot of people know you guys, but you guys come, come on down here so we can introduce you guys. So if you'll turn, come across the front here and face forward so everybody can see, I want to introduce you guys. But we're excited that Lord keeps bringing new people to be part of our church fellowship. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about them. We'll start down here at the end. This is Mike Edmondson. He's got his kids Nathan and Chloe. They're 12 and 10 with him. He's an Air Force officer, so he's here in Montgomery by God's sovereign plan because of the military. We're thankful the Lord brought him here. He's the director of several war fighting courses over at Maxwell. In his free time, he enjoys teaching, reading, writing, outdoor adventures. So he's done some of the backpacking stuff with us, so he can smile and nod. He's done some of those with us before. And spending time with his kids. And so we're so thankful that you guys are here and part of Gateway. So, so welcome to you, Mike. Amen. Next, we have Ben and Ashlyn Shear. They are also military. They moved here from Germany, so they came a little bit further than Mike came in coming to in coming to my But they, they moved here, relocated from Germany. They're here for two years. You see with them their kids, Josiah, Samuel, 
and Adara. Um, ben is active duty Air Force. He's a civil engineer in the Air Force there, and he's teaching out at Maxwell, the Squadron Officer School. They live up in Prattville, but they're already connected into the life of the church. They're part of the STEAM Life Group um, here in the area, and for their fun, they enjoy traveling. Here's a common theme today, camping and hiking. So, you know, we got to get them out in the woods. They've done some day hikes with us, but we'll get you out on some other stuff. Biking, reading, and hospitality. They enjoy opening up their home to people, and so we're so thankful God's brought you guys to Montgomery and to Gateway as well. <laughs> And also coming to be presented as new members is Mr. Sonny Collins. Standing here with him is his wife, Connie. They've been married 49 years. So, whoa, yeah. They, they, they have four sons, two biological, two adopted sons. Now, Sonny is doubly retired. He retired from the Army with 20 years of service and retired from the Postal Service with 23 years of service. So he is a double retiree standing before you this morning. They enjoy being with people. He enjoys, um, as he said, people and playing Jesus music, and so, which we are thankful for that. And then he asked, asked him what they like shared, and he just re- reminded me of Psalm 156, like everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. So we are so thankful for you guys. Welcome to you guys as well. Thanks, guys. If y'all want to head back to your seat. So just a reminder to all of our Gateway family, as the Lord keeps bringing new people our way to be intentional to welcome people, look for people you don't know, and connect with them. We have more who have been approved by you, the congregation, for membership who are not here today. We'll introduce them in a few weeks. And you, members, you'll be getting an email about others who are moving through the membership process that we're excited to now recommend to you. So we have a lot more to introduce to you over the next month or so, and we are thankful for that. Now, can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read some scripture to us as we prepare our hearts to sing to the Lord this morning. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is praying for the believers, and it's such a rich prayer in Colossians 1, but he says this as he's reminding them of who, what, who God is and what he's done for us. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, we've been studying a lot about who the Redeemer is and what redemption looks like this morning. We were going to begin our time together worshiping the Lord in song this morning by remembering who the Redeemer is and what he's done for us. Let's sing to him and thank him this morning.
We don't worship a dead Savior. He's not dead in a grave. He died, bore our wrath, and he is risen again, and our Redeemer lives. As we get ready to sing this next song, I just want to read these verses from um, 1 Peter, and it'll be on the screen so you can follow along with us, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Trust the sweetest prayer, but holy trust. 
Jesus, our glory 
Father, we do, we turn our eyes to our Savior, Christ. As we read in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we worship We give you the glory and the praise for what you've done for us. You are our solid rock. You are our hope. And this morning as we gather to worship, Lord, we bring these things before you, knowing that, Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. Pray this morning, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, the church there. Lord, this morning... They are looking to you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution and fear, in the midst of maybe this will be their last week. Lord, we don't know. We know, Lord, that the seed has been planted in Afghanistan. We know that the gospel is there. We know that there are believers who are in need of your protection, in need of your peace. We pray that you would give them endurance and grant them hope in the midst of the pain and suffering in the last few weeks. God, help us to be mindful of that. Call us to the life of suffering. And we do so, and as Paul says, we count it all joy. And I pray that for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Father, this morning we also want to lift up our children's ministry. Lord, for the young people in this this, this body, we're so grateful for the children that you've given to us. And Lord, we pray that you would raise them up to be pillars in your kingdom, Lord. Thank you for the ministry and Molly and her faithfulness to this. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to bless and give her wisdom. And I pray, Lord, for this ministry that we would see more people committed to it. And that, Lord, you would use this ministry to grow up young believers in the faith. Thank you for what we have here at Gateway and for the opportunities that we have to minister to these young people. Lord, this morning we also want to pray for the ministry of Strong Tower over at Washington Park and Pastor Terrence Jones. Thank you for that ministry. Thank you for how you're using him in that church. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom and grace as they minister to that community. We pray that that church would grow and that many would come to faith in Christ. Lord, so much brokenness in this city and a need for the gospel. We just pray, Lord, that that church would be a salt and light. And we pray that for us as well, Lord, how we can partner with them and encourage them and pray for them often. Lord, this morning as we give our tithes and offerings, we pray that you would use that to further your kingdom. Thank you for how you've blessed all of us in this, in this room, Lord. We are rich beyond measure. You've, been, you've given us so much, Lord. Even the poorest person in this room is, has wealth beyond measure, Lord. But more importantly, we know that we have, we serve the one who owns all things. And so, Lord, help us to hold loosely that which has been given to us and help us to give out the abundance of our heart so that your name might be magnified. And, Lord, also we want to pray this morning as Grady brings the word that, Lord, you'd give him grace. Encourage him, Lord, just 
uphold him as he proclaims the precious truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we would not leave here the same people this morning, that we would be transformed by hearing the word and it would do a work in our hearts to make us more like you. And so, Lord, we're so dependent on you. We're just dependent upon you, Holy Spirit, to do these things, asking that you would do far more than we can imagine. And we commit it all to you, knowing that, Lord, you are good and you are faithful. And we pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. We'll find Hebrews chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 1 as we continue our journey in being rooted and grounded in the unchanging Word of God and the Scriptures and the Bible and excited about this journey that we have to get. Yes, boys and girls, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yes, you were dismissed to kids' worship, but you knew that anyway. So. There we go. Got a fun group back there today. So, Have seen guys, if you'll pull the lights down so I can see the people in the room a little bit, so that'd be great. So I'd like to be able to see. Oh, there we go. I can see you again. That's great. Thank you, guys. Well, two weeks ago, we finished part one of our study as we use a catechism to guide us. We finished part one where we saw the nature of God, where we saw his plan in creation, where we saw his standard in the law of God, where we saw sin and the fall, where we saw the effects of sin in our own lives, and we see brokenness and death. And as we looked at the reality of our struggles with sin and the reality of our failure to follow the law of God, we saw the only hope for us was something called a Redeemer. To redeem, we said, means to buy back. And the only hope for us is to be bought back because we have a debt so great that we owe to God for offending his holiness, for offending his majesty, for not following his law. And so the only hope we could have would be for someone to redeem us, to pay the price for our sin. Now, last week we began part two of our study in being rooted. And we began with a question that took us deeper into who this redeemer is. We kind of, as part one, set the stage for there to be our need for redeemer. And part two now takes us deeper into understanding who the Redeemer is. We began last week with the question of what type of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God, to restore us to a right relationship with God. And we saw last week we needed a Redeemer who is both truly God and truly man. And we said last week that that Redeemer is Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. He's not half and half. He's not half God and half man. He is fully God, fully man, 100% deity. That just means he's 100% God and 100% human. Now, last week we focused on Jesus' humanity. We saw last week he was human in every way. He was born the way all humans are born. He grew in the way all humans grow. He had a body. He had emotions. So we saw that he was fully human. And we saw last week that that was absolutely necessary. Because if God was going to die for us, he'd have to become a man to be able to die to be the sacrifice for us. Now today is the follow-up question to that. If a Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God, and the Redeemer has to be fully God and fully man, today we come to the other aspect of that. And our question today is this. Why must the Redeemer... Be truly God. If you and I need a Redeemer, someone to rescue us, and the only way we can be rescued is a Redeemer who's fully God and fully man. We saw last week why it has to be fully God. Today is why does he have to be, sorry, last week we saw why he had to be fully God, fully, fully man. Today is why does he have to be fully God? And we see the answer in Hebrews. Last week I told you Hebrews chapter 1 shows the deity of Christ, that he's God. Hebrews chapter 2 shows the humanity of Christ. So last week was fitting to look at Hebrews 2. Today we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 1. In fact, we're going to look at just the very first sentence of the book. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. Verses 1 through 4 is all one sentence. We're going to focus just on verses 1 to 3 this morning. This one sentence right here, we see so much about who Jesus is, who the Redeemer is. Now as we read the text this morning, realize Jesus is simply called the Son here. And after you see the word son, what falls is a bunch of whom's and he's, and those are all descriptions of Jesus, of the Redeemer. 
And after we're introduced to him at the beginning of these, this, this verse here, we see seven phrases that tell us about him. And so in this one sentence in the Greek, we find seven phrases that show us who the Redeemer is. It shows us about who Jesus is. And they all show us how we know he is God. And they show us why that matters. So as we read our text this morning, we'll be looking for all these amazing descriptions about the nature of Christ, about the nature of our Redeemer. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We'll have the words on the screen for you also. But Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray as we look at this amazing text about Christ this morning, that you would just open our eyes to understand more and more the depths of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I pray that you would capture our hearts with wonder and the truth of these verses, that we would be in awe of our Redeemer. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know in a personal way this Redeemer who we are studying this morning, that today would be the day they would understand who Jesus is and believe. That we would come away this morning more in love with you and more in awe of the redemption that you have given to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, to understand the seven phrases that teach us more about who Christ is here, we have to go back to the very introduction of the book to see what we can learn about this, because it sets the stage for us. So go back to verse number one, and notice how different this introduction is than most of the other books in the New Testament. So many of Paul's writings, there's these wishes of grace and peace, and these prayers for people, and explaining why the letters are coming. With Hebrews, there's none of that. The author of Hebrews just jumps right in to this big argument he's going to be making in the chapters to follow. So look at verse 1, how the book begins. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, how's that for an introduction to a letter? If you're the early believers getting a letter and you get a letter like this, can you imagine? Like This is straight to the depths of theology here in this letter. What's he saying here? He's saying long ago. What is that? That is a time from creation until Jesus came. This is a time where the Old Testament records that history for us. So this is the Old Testament period of time. And during this time, something profound happens. We're told that God spoke. Now, don't miss this, friends. It's easy to kind of skim through an introduction to a letter and miss the significance of this. He's saying in this whole period from creation up until Christ's coming, God has been speaking. That God's people did not have to navigate life on their own. They did not have to rely on their own human thoughts or wisdom. That they had direct revelation from God to guide them. God was not silent. He was not leaving them to his own ways. God is a God who speaks, who reveals, and who guides his people. Now, during this time, how did God do it? We're told that long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, notice this, by the prophets. These were the people who spoke on behalf of God to God's people. The prophets weren't just giving their opinions, they were giving the very words of God, God's revelation to them. I love how 2 Peter chapter 1 describes it. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21, I think we have that on the screen for you. We're told that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So we got all these prophets of the Old Testament, they weren't just speaking what they thought people wanted to hear. They were speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 1 tells us something else. So go back to Hebrews 1, verse 1. We're told that these prophecies from God came about, notice the first phrase, at many times and in many ways. If you think about the Old Testament, God spoke in 
many times in many ways throughout the whole period of the Old Testament. Sometimes God would speak through thunder and trumpet blasts or whispers. He would give visions and dreams and voices and even have angels speak on his behalf. He would give commands. He would ask questions. He would give symbols and signs. God spoke it many times in many ways during that period of time. Now, why in the world is the author of Hebrews beginning with that at the very beginning of his letter? Because he's setting up an important contrast for us. He's setting up a very big contrast for us. And notice what he does in verse 2 of Hebrews 1. He tells us now, but something is changing here. Things are different now. But in these last days. Now, what is that? That's now the time period since Christ came the first time until Christ returns. So when Hebrews was written almost 2,000 years ago, it was the last days. And friends, it's still the last days. This is the entire time period between Christ's first and second Comings. And during this time period, what has God done? Notice this, in these last days, he has spoken to us. God is not silent still. God is not withdrawn. God is still speaking to his people. He's still giving us revelation. But notice it changes here. And notice what it says here. He doesn't say in the, in the old to- olden times that God spoke through the prophets. And so now he speaks through the apostles. He doesn't say that. Notice the emphasis of this verse, which becomes the emphasis of the whole book of Hebrews now. In verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by who? His Son. Yeah, he's spoken to us by his Son. He's revealing himself to us by his Son. The Son is Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that? Well, context makes it clear. We'll see this morning. All these things that describe the Son can only be God. But he tells us, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, as you go ahead and this argument builds, he says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. So all these he's and whom's that follow throughout chapter 1 builds to this, and he finally tells us in chapter 2, verse 9, that this son, these he's that we're talking about, is in fact none other than Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. So we go back to verse 2 here. We're told that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. That Jesus is the ultimate communication from God. As one author I read this week put it so well, he said, Jesus is God's final word. That was a good way to describe it. Jesus is God's final word. Now, that doesn't mean that what happened in verse 1 is bad, that somehow that was some, some problem to that. It just means that God has now given us a more complete revelation in the person of Christ. So how do we know that this Son, this one whom God has spoken through, is in fact truly God? And that's what follows in these phrases that follow. There are seven phrases that describe this Son, and all seven of these phrases show us that he is not just some mere man, he is God. Now, as I look at these phrases, there's a lot to this. There's, these, are, these are meaty and weighty phrases. But as you think about how you can understand these, there's really just two things in these phrases. There are things that are Jesus' actions that show that he is God. And there's some phrases that are about Jesus' nature that show that he is God. So you can divide up all seven of these phrases into, either into things that Jesus has done that no mere man can do, or things that are unique to Jesus' nature that is not that, no, that can never be described of any human. So we're going to divide it up that way. So I'm sorry for my type A OCD friends. We're not going to go in the order they appear in the scripture here for these seven things. We're taking them in these big categories. Jesus' actions that show he is God, and Jesus' nature that also shows that he is God. So let's look at Jesus' actions. There's several phrases here that show us what Jesus has in fact done that can only be attributed to God. Now, when the author of Hebrews does this, he gives us really three things here. One is past tense. One is present tense, what Jesus is still doing, and one is future tense, what Jesus will always do. So let's look at these three actions that shows us the deity of Christ, that he is God. The first is the past tense. What has Jesus done? That first thing here is that Jesus created everything, that Jesus is the creator of everything. Now go to verse 2 here. We've got to go a little bit down in verse 2 and look at the very last phrase of verse 2. We're told, through whom also he created 
the world. Okay, there are a lot of who's and him's here. Through whom, the whom here is Jesus. Also he, the he here is God the Father created the world. So through Jesus, God the Father created the world. So Jesus is the creator of everything. Now this is where we get a little bit of trouble in our translations. The, the translation of the world, world here is really not the best word to go in that place. Because when we think about the world, we think about trees, grass, sun, all that, which is part of it. But the, world, the word that's used here is actually much more encompassing. The word literally in the Greek is he's the creator of the ages. It's a word that means everything, everything in the whole universe. So some translations actually translate this to the, through whom he created the universe, and that's probably a more literal translation. So yes, Jesus made our tiny little planet with our tiny little continents and oceans on it. Yes, he made our tiny little sun in the scope of the universe on this, and he put us in a tiny galaxy that's only 100,000 light years across, and if I understand right from the scientists, that's about 600 trillion miles, I think. Maybe 600 trillion trillion miles. And then he made 100 billion stars and put in our galaxy, but he, that wasn't enough, so he made other galaxies besides our galaxy. He made 2 trillion other galaxies, many of which are bigger than our galaxy, and just most of them on estimate are about 3 million light years apart from each other. Yes, that's what's encompassed by this word. That Jesus made it all. That he is the, the Father willed it, and through God the Son, everything was created. This is what we see when we studied the Gospel of John several years ago. So John chapter 1, verse 3. How many things? All things. So yes, those hundreds of trillions of stars out there were made by him. And yes, the tree outside and the tree behind that window. Everything was made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made that Jesus is the creator of all things, something that only God could do. That was past tense, that Jesus is the creator. But there's a second thing here in these phrases. Our second phrase of these seven is that Jesus sustains everything. He didn't just create it all and leave it. That Jesus, God the Son, is now sustaining everything that he made. So go to verse 3 here. Again, we're going a little bit out of order here, so but you have to jump around in this. But the last part of verse 3, he, the Son here, upholds the universe... By the word of his power. He upholds, he holds together. This is not a passive word, this is an active word. That Jesus is not just sitting by, kind of hoping it all sticks together. He is actively holding everything together. So there's hundreds of trillions of galaxies that are hundreds of trillions of miles apart. He's holding them all. Our oceans, our continents, our bodies. He's holding everything together. He's actively working to sustain everything that he made. And how does he do this? Well, we're told there in verse 3 how he did this. He upholds the universe. Notice this. By what? By his what? By his words. It wasn't just his word that was used to make everything. It's his word. And this is a, a, in the Greek is a very specific word to mean the spoken word. That Jesus is speaking the universe to be sustained, to hold everything together. He's the one who keeps the sun shining, keeps our earth spinning and rotating. He's the one who keeps the stars shining. He's the one who keeps our bodies together and our molecules together. He's why our skin stays skin and why our hearts beat. Because Jesus is speaking it into being. One author I read this week said it so well. I love the way he described it. He said, Jesus is speaking all the solar system and all the Milky Way and all the other galaxies into being, as well as the molecules and all the wood and the brick of this building. He's holding our flesh and our hair and our skin and our lungs and our tissue and our fingernails into being right now. If Jesus were to stop thinking you into being, you would cease to be. You know, if, if Jesus were to stop thinking you into being, you would cease to be. That's how dependent you are on this person on Jesus. So what is the author of Hebrews doing? At the very outset of his letter, he's showing us that Jesus, the Son, the Redeemer, is God. He's showing us that by showing us what only God can do. God creates everything, and God sustains everything. But there's a third thing here in his actions, that he will always rule over everything. So number three, our third phrase is that Jesus will always rule over 
everything, that he's actively ruling. Now, where do we see this? We have to go back up to verse 2 in this. We're told, we're told in verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, notice this, the heir of all things. Now, what do we mean by this? The word heir is a person who receives what is given to him, who receives an inheritance here. So you, you hear throughout history these stories of, oh, the heir of that great fortune, or the heir of this or that. You know, the heirs have received things. And when an heir receives something, he or she is now ruling over it. He or she does with that inheritance what he or she wants to do. So what we're being told here is that Jesus is the heir of how many things? All things. So that entire universe, all those hundreds of trillions of stars, Jesus is the heir of those. He's the heir of the inheritance of all the earth and the people on the earth and the things on the earth. Everything belongs to him. That means that he decides what to do with it all. He rules over it all. It all belongs to him. I heard someone years ago describe it this way, that when Jesus looks at all the universe, he looks at all and declares, mine. It all belongs to him. He's ruling over it all and will forever. Jesus is doing what only God can do, creating, sustaining, and ruling over it. Now, we don't just see this in Hebrew. I love how Paul describes this in Colossians. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 is a very succinct summary of everything we've seen here. Notice this. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and and for him. Now, verse 17, he carries on. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There you have it. He's creating, he's ruling, and he's sustaining everything in Colossians as well. It's showing us that Jesus is truly God, and there's pointing out his actions to show that to us. But also, there's some more phrases here that show us Jesus' nature, and his nature shows us he is God. In fact, there's two key phrases here that show us that in his nature he's God. So let's look at our fourth phrase here, and this is going to be in verse 3. Notice this. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. So there's our fourth phrase, that he's the radiance of the glory of God. Now, there are some translations that say he is the reflection of the glory of God. Now, that's really not strong enough here, because think about something. If you go out on a moonlit night and look up at this, the moon and the stars, and the moon is reflecting the light. Now, Reflecting light, the moon doesn't have light. Light is not the nature of the moon. The nature of the moon is just a big rock hovering over space floating above us. Kind of crazy thought, isn't it? So the moon is just a rock. That's its nature, but it reflects the light. But something that radiates the light, like the sun, light is the nature of the sun. There's a big difference between reflecting something and radiating something. We're not told that Jesus reflects the glory of God. Because that would mean it's exterior to him and just kind of bounces off him. But rather he radiates the glory of God. That the glory of God is who he is and it comes out because of that. He is fully God, therefore he radiates the glory, the brightness, the character, the nature of God. We see this in John's gospel in John chapter 1 verse 14. In the word, title for Jesus here, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen, notice this, whose glory? His glory, the glory of Jesus. We've seen his own glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus radiates out the glory of God because he is God is showing us his deity, his godness here. There's one more phrase here in the same verse that shows us his nature, and that's our fifth phrase for the morning. Notice here in verse 3 what it says. He's the radiance of the glory of God, and next he's the exact imprint of his nature. He's the exact imprint of his nature. Now this word imprint is a Greek word that's used to describe coin making. So if you think about how they make coins then, and I presume now, some ways, there's some type of mold, or like, I think they call it a dye. You take the hot metal and you put the dye onto the metal, and it makes an imprint. So that's why every quarter looks the same, because there's the same stamp that's making every one. That stamp simply is the imprint of what it was trying to be made. We're told here that, that Jesus is the exact imprint 
of God's nature, that he's the exact mold of God's nature. That means he has the exact same nature as God the Father. Yes, as we saw early on in our study, there's one God with three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're distinct persons in the one God, but they share the same nature. That's why Jesus can say to Philip in John chapter 14, verse 8, this is fascinating, Philip is asking about the Father, about seeing the Father God, and Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And I love how Jesus responds, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, how can Jesus say that? Because he's the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share the same nature. So we can say of Jesus, he is fully God, therefore he has the exact imprint of God the Father's nature. Another author I was reading this week had an interesting image. This is my paraphrase of it. But he says, Jesus showed us the nature of the invisible God on the canvas of a human life. Think about that. Jesus showed us the nature of the invisible God on the canvas of a human life. You think of a painter, and they paint something so you can see something you've not been to. Before all the digital photography, if you want to see something, you saw a painting of the Grand Canyon or a painting of the Great Wall of China. Jesus is, in a sense, a painting for us of the invisible God who we could not see with our eyes because God is spirit. He's a painting of the nature of God on the canvas of a human life. He shows us the nature of God because he is God. So verse 3, these two phrases, he's the radiance of the glory of God, and he's the exact imprint of his nature. So those are five of our seven phrases that describe Jesus. He's creator, he's sustainer, he's the heir, the ruler, he's the radiance of the glory of God, he's the imprint of God's nature. So the author is giving us no room for question. The very beginning of the letter is saying, yes, Jesus was a man, but Jesus was more than a man. He is also truly, 100% fully God. But he gives us two more phrases, and these phrases are, are still actions of what Jesus did, but they answer the why question for us. Why is it necessary for the Redeemer to be human? And we find these also in verse 3. So look back at verse 3. After what we just read, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. There's two more phrases we need. Here's the sixth one here. He is, sorry, um, after making purification for sins. Now just stop right there. He made purification for sins. There's our sixth phrase, and this answers the why question. Why must the Redeemer be God? Because he came to make purification for sins. He came to forgive sins. He came to, as we sang about and prayed about, he came to absorb the wrath of God. As we've seen week after week after week, a sinful person cannot be that sacrifice. Only a perfect person could be that sacrifice. So God himself had to come because there is no perfect person to be the sacrifice for others. So Jesus came to make purification for sins, something only God could do. But there's one more phrase here, a seventh phrase that explains a little bit more about this making purification that helps us see why Jesus had to come and why he, or why Jesus chose to come and why the Redeemer had to be God. Notice this very last phrase of verse 3 here. After making purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, don't miss this. This is profound. This is big. It's easy for us in our Gentile context to miss the significance. In the Old Testament times, when people sinned, they would go to the temple and there would be sacrifices being made to show sorrow over sin and to point people ultimately to the final sacrifice of Christ. But in the temple, friends, where the priest is sacrificed, there was nowhere to sit. There was no chairs for the priest to sit down on between sacrifices because while they were on duty, priests never, ever, ever sat down. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, and every priest does what? He stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This was pointing people to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ, but a priest never sat down because sins were never finished being dealt with. 
because there were, there were sins of the priests and sins of the people, and so they just continued to make sacrifice because the sins were still having to be dealt with. So priests never sat down because their work was never complete. But Jesus comes. In the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a, there's this, a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. The sacrifices were complete because the final complete one had been made. That's why we see, go back to verse 3 of our text today. After making purification for sin, after this being a sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That means the perfect sacrifice he made was complete. He accomplished the redemption of all those who have believed. That's why what he said on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, his words on the cross, it is finished. It's complete. He did what he came to do. So he put those two phrases together to show us why the Redeemer had to be fully God, because he had to be a perfect sacrifice. And no human could do that. He had to be a complete once-for-all sacrifice, and no human could do that. Therefore, the Redeemer had to be truly God. So let's bring all those seven phrases together into what we're looking at. So why does the Redeemer have to be fully God? Here's our question for the day, and now here's our answer. Here's the main idea of bringing it all together. The Redeemer must be truly God in order to be the perfect and the complete sacrifice for sin. There was no other way. We saw last week he had to be a man because God can't die, so he came in human flesh. But why did he have to be God? Because if the Redeemer was a, was a mere man like you or me, there was no hope for redemption. Because even the death of a person can't atone for all their sins. That's why it takes an eternity in hell to deal with the sin debt each person owes. So the only hope for the Redeemer to be able to come and rescue all of us was to, come, to be God himself, to be a perfect sacrifice and to be a complete sacrifice that could cover the sins of the whole world. So the Redeemer had to be truly God and truly man. Now with that in view, I don't want us just to stop at that and think, oh, that's interesting and that's nice. There's an important part of this text I don't want us to miss here as well as we think about that truth of the Redeemer. So go back to verses 1 and 2. There's an important question for us as we kind of bring together our thoughts on these seven phrases that describe Jesus. Notice something here in verses 1 and 2. I alluded to this earlier, but long, long ago and many times and in many ways, God did what? He spoke to us, okay? Now verse 2, in these days, the days we're living in, he has what? God has spoken to us by his son. Again, don't miss this. This is profound. God is speaking. So here's my question for us in light as we think about who the Redeemer is. Are we listening? God spoke through the prophets, but now he's given us a more complete revelation. He's spoken through the son. God has spoken. The question is, are we listening, friends? We listen to lots of things, right? When I get in the car, what's the first thing I do? I turn on the radio out of habit. What do you do when you're home? Just by yourself, but turn on music on Spotify, you know, or whatever service you use. Like, we're listening to stuff all the time from our phones, our computers, our TVs, our radios. There's lots of voices that are talking to us that we try to listen to. The question is, are we listening to God here? He has spoken to us by his son. He has given to us his revelation. He's given us his word. Genesis to Revelation is all about Christ. All the Old Testament is pointing us to Christ. All the New Testament is reflecting back on who Christ is. So God has given us his revelation. The question is, are we listening? Do we want to listen or do we let his voice get drowned out by everything else we're hearing? Because we are bombarded with voices every day, including our own thoughts. And the question is, are we listening to those or are we listening to him? That's the question I want us to reflect on this morning and the question I want us to reflect on this week ahead. Not just, wow, this is great that the Redeemer is fully God. This is great that he redeemed us. And friends, it is, and we need to celebrate that. But God has spoken, and are we listening? 
That's the question I want us to reflect on as we celebrate communion this morning. Look back at verse 3 in our text one more time today. In verse 3, we're told, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, as we celebrate communion, we're celebrating this making purification for sins. As we celebrate communion, friends, it is a visible symbol for us of how Jesus made purification for sins. When we take the bread and we break it, it reminds us that Jesus' body was broken, that he went to a cruel Roman cross to be the sacrifice for our sins. When we drink the juice, it reminds us of his blood, because we're told in Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, as we think about Christ being our Redeemer from all these weeks of studying this, it's fitting to celebrate with communion today, to remember how this grace that forgives us has come to us, to remember how he purified us from our sins. As such, friends, this is only for followers of Christ. What we're about to do is only for people who know I am redeemed. Just as we sang at the beginning about being redeemed, all these songs we sung about believing in Jesus. It's only for people who really know that that's true for you, that you know behind a shadow doubt that Christ has redeemed you, that you belong to God, that he's forgiven you of your sins, that he's growing you in godliness. And let me just remind you, friends, the evidence of knowing Christ is not that we've prayed a prayer and joined a church. The evidence of knowing Christ is that his Holy Spirit is dwelling within us and we're seeing change. So we talked about when we studied the Gospel of John, that true faith is receiving a transformation from above. The, the evidence of true faith is God is at work in us. And so, friends, if you are a follower of Christ, I hope you'll celebrate communion with us. It doesn't matter if you're a member of Gateway or not, but if you know that you belong to Jesus and love Him, we want you to celebrate with us and reflect on the body and blood of Christ and how purification of sin has come to us. And if you are not sure that's for you, use this time just to sit where you are and pray and ask God to reveal Himself to you. And particularly for you as believers, as we come to this time, we want to take some time of reflection. So just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And then as the instruments play, we want you to have a moment or two where you're sitting just to pray and to, one, to thank God for the redemption he's given you, to remember what it costs and to praise him and thank him for that, but also to reflect and to ask him, God, you're speaking, am I listening? would be a good question to ask. And let the Holy Spirit search our hearts and grow us in these things. Now, the elements are located in the seat in front of you. If you don't see them, there's some in the back here. And again, there's gluten-free options for those who need. You can come get those while the instrumentals play in just a minute. But let me pray for us. Father God, we are grateful for the salvation you've given to us, that you looked upon us in our helpless state. You looked at us lost in our sins when we deserve nothing but hell and nothing but condemnation. And you chose to redeem us instead. God, you'd have been very just to condemn us to hell forever because of our offenses against you, because of our sin, because of the way that we shake our fists at you and live our lives our way instead of your way, because of the way we turn our backs on you and don't listen to you. Lord, you would have been just and right to do that. But God, in your rich mercy, you looked upon us in our helpless state and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You redeemed us. You bought us back. You have rescued us. And as it says here in Hebrews, you, Lord Jesus, you made purification of our sins, that you've forgiven us for all of our unrighteousness. And so we thank you that we can pause for just a minute now as your people to remember the cost of that. Lord, we confess, Lord, so often we think about being forgiven and think about being followers of Christ and belonging to you. Lord, we don't think about the cost it was to you. We get so focused on the freeness of the gift you've given to us. We lose sight of the incredible pain you went through to redeem us because our redemption cost us, Lord Jesus, your life on the cross be that perfect and complete sacrifice. So as we pause now, we pause an act of worship. God, our worship to you is not just what we've sung. We're worshiping you now as we pause and reflect and remember on your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. As we eat the bread and drink the juice and remember your body being broken and your blood being poured out. 
We do so to worship you, to remember, to reflect, and to thank you for your grace for uh, given to us. Lord, would you use this time, even as we sit still for just a moment, and all the busyness of life, with all the voices that come to us, I pray we sit still and we'd ask you, am I listening? And what I pray for areas where we've been living on our own or listening to other voices instead of yours, that your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin, not to convict us to make us feel completely broken, but to convict us so that we might repent and run back to you to find the grace we need to change and be close to you. So we'll take this time to use it to grow us, your people, in our love and affection for you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. last days he has spoken to us by his son and we appointed the heir of all things to whom also he created the world he jesus is the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high god we are grateful that purified us from our sins. Lord Jesus, you took the penalty for our sins that we deserve. You took it gladly upon yourself. We're grateful not just that you've taken the penalty of our sins, that you've taken away the power of sin from us, that sin does not have to have dominion and control over us. For that, Lord, we want to say thank you. 
help us not just when we're in this room singing and studying and taking communion that we remember, but help us remember all week long, Lord. We confess we're such a short-sighted people who forget so quickly to dwell on your grace and who you are. I pray this week that what we've just celebrated would turn our minds to you and we think about it all week long. So as we do so, God, that'll bring you great glory and that'll bring us great joy. So Lord, now as we continue to worship and sing this song, which is a prayer back to you, I pray that this would be the prayer of our hearts, that as we say thank you, Lord, this would be something that your Holy Spirit will produce in us to sing back to you, O God, how thankful we are for the salvation that you have given to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a prayer back to the Lord as we reflect on these truths. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Watch your enemy now seated at your table. Jesus,
Sunday afternoon, Gateway family.